there's a conjunction, one little word, but. But. That one little word can make all the difference. A plane went down on the Hudson River. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Yes, but everyone walked away. No one was hurt. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the result, test results have come back in and you have cancer. But it's very treatable. In fact, 99% of patients recover and lead complete healthy lives. Or your son was in a car accident, but he's okay. One little word, but. And it can literally change everything. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is laying out the human condition, and he's saying that all of us are in trouble. We're all spiritually separated from God. We're all spiritually enslaved to sin. We're all spiritually condemned. And there's nothing that any of us can do to get ourselves out of the predicament that we're in out of the jam that we're in, out of the trouble, real trouble that we're in. And then he says this, and it's in Romans 3, verse 21, but now, but now, there it is, that one little word that changes everything. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That one little word changes everything. And what Paul is saying is you can be made right with God, not because of what you're doing, not because of what you bring to the table, not because you've said, I'm sorry, and you really meant it, not because you've tried harder and somehow you're good enough now and you've made the standard. No, he says, no one is good enough. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody is made right with God the same way. And then he goes on and he says this in verses 23. And following, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we're righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. In other words, it's a gift. There's nothing that you or I or anyone else can bring to the table other than ourselves. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do that could somehow make things right with God. Leon Morris says that these five verses, this one paragraph, is perhaps the single most important paragraph ever written in human history. You believe it? Well, why? Why did he save us? How did God solve this dilemma? And that's verses 25 and 26. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe 
in Jesus. Most of us read the Bible and we're looking for us in the story. We're looking for God's promises to us and what God's going to do for us and how God loves us and God wants to, you know, do these marvelous things for us. And so we look for ourselves in the story, but really the Bible is God's story. It's about him. And in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is, is presenting a dilemma that God had. See, on the one hand, God is holy and just. And when wicked people do wicked things, wicked people ought to be punished. It's right that that happens. On the other hand, God's loving, and he loves the people that he made, people who thumb their nose at him and rebel. What on earth is he going to do? How is he going to take those two things? Was he going to look the other way? That's not really just or right or fair, is it? So what's he going to do? And Paul, that's why this is such good news. Paul says that what God did is that God stepped in and God solved the problem himself by sending his son, who didn't do anything wrong, to literally die in our place. See, there's a Greek word, and in the olden days, it was translated propitiation. It's just a big word, propitiation. But really, all it means is instead of. You've probably heard that Jesus died for you. That's true. But it's much truer to say that Jesus died instead of you. Jesus was punished instead of you. This film is not meant to be an allegory, okay? The, the, the child in the film is exactly that, a child. And when he falls down into the bridge mechanism, it's really an accident. He's trying to help, but he's, it's a kid. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. The Bible says that Jesus was fully a man and fully in charge of what he would do and not do, and yet Jesus willingly died instead of you, instead of me. So it, it's not meant to be an allegory, but if anything, I hope that you get from this film is that I hope you were able to emotionally connect with the Father and feel the weight and the plight and the love and everything else that the Father has because God is that way. And what I want out of this morning, really today, is that you would have a better sense of the wonder and awe of substitutionary atonement of the fact that God's Son died instead of you. If you've been a Christian a long time, if you gave your heart and life over to God 20 years ago or 15 years ago or five years ago and it's gotten a little dull or boring and, and, and yeah, 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 I've, I did that, I've signed on, I hope today that perhaps there would be much, much greater sense in your heart and spirit of gratitude. Really, if a man saves your life, how many times can you say thank you? At what point does thank you become old? At what point does gratitude just not fit the situation? Never. Literally, he saved my life. And I go on and I drive in my van and I buy things on Amazon and I do all this stuff as if Somebody didn't save my life. No, God did save my life. That's what Paul says in Romans. And so on this Sunday before Easter, what I hope is that you will feel gratitude. It's the right thing to feel. For those of you that are, you're not sure and, and you've been trying to be good enough, I hope today you'll get a sense of that's not going to work. And next week I'm going to talk about what it really means to believe, what, what it means to have faith. 
that gets thrown out a lot. Well, what exactly is that? Next week, we're going to wade into it. Uh, but this morning, I just want us to be grateful. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I want to actually read what Paul had to say as words of institution. I won't. He said this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Will our musicians and communion stewards come forward at this time? As we close out the service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we're also going to give you an opportunity to, right where you are, be grateful. Um, we celebrate communion at Generations by intinction, which means you simply rip off a piece of the bread, you dip it into the cup. But this morning, as we're remembering what God's Son did, that he died instead of you, instead of me, I hope that in your heart, there's much, much greater sense of gratitude.